You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you know what's really frustrating and super stupid? Two-thirds of the world's illiterate population are women. And that would lead you to think that higher education started as a boys' club, right? But I'll let you in on a little secret. Universities as we know them were started by a refugee Muslim woman in 1859 CE. Hello and welcome back to For the Love of History. I'm TK and I am a little bit mad today. A little bit more than mad if I'm being completely honest. Why do you ask? Well, because up until a few months ago, I thought that the oldest universities in the world were all in Europe. But I was very, very mistaken. Whether it was Mr. Howard, you know, my AP world history teacher, failing to teach me that, or through my own biased research, I had no idea that the first and longest operating degree awarding university was started by a Muslim woman who just so happened to be a refugee who moved with her family for a better life. And that woman's name was Fatima bint Muhammad al-Fahari. That's who we're talking about today. So strap in, get ready for a dose of history, get comfy. I'm super hot, so I hope you have air conditioning. You know the drill, and let's get started. I so badly want to be able to dive in Fatima's early life and what she was like as a person, but unfortunately, there are almost no known primary sources about her life. Not a diary, not a ledger, not a gosh darn thing, except for what was recorded by 14th century historian Ibn Abizir. So historians now are left to speculate, but that's okay. We fortunately know the basics about her life. Fatima was born around 800 CE in the town of Kairouan in present-day Tunisia. She was of Arabic descent, and her family did not start off wealthy. Her father, Muhammad al-Fihiri, became a successful merchant after the family immigrated from Kairouan to Fez, which a lot of Muslims at the time were doing. That is because there was a series of very anti-Islamic taxes and corruption going on in the city by the Aglabad rulers, the people who were in charge of everything in that area. Both the military of Kaduan and its everyday people who were educated, pious, and illegally minded objected to the utter BS that the Aglabid rulers were up to. The final straw was an outbreak of violence by the Jund, the standing army, 
and from 824 to 826 CE, hundreds of families made the 1,600-kilometer or 1,000-mile journey from Kaiduan to Fez, meaning Fatima would have indeed been a refugee. Like I said, Fatima's family was not rich to begin with, but her father became a super badass merchant, and bam, the family had lots of money. They were great. They were wealthy. They were doing good. Friend, I love my dad. I love that grumpy military man so much. He was and is such an encouraging guy. So when I see a supportive dad in my podcast research, I immediately feel the need to call him. And I felt that a lot while researching this week. Fatima's dad reminds me very much of my own. You know, what little information we have about him. But he encouraged both of his daughters, to be educated, well-read, and critical thinkers. Fatima and her sister studied the Quran, math, science, grammar, law, and whatever their little hearts desired. He encouraged them to be independent thinkers, and I freaking stan a supportive dad, supportive parents, just supportive people. I'm a fan. Sign me up. I love Fatima's dad. And you know what? It's a real, real good thing that he encouraged his daughters in this way because Fatima would change the course of education around the world. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. It seemed like our lovely Fatima's life had been going great. Family was doing well financially. She had gotten married. Things were on the up and up. But an unfortunate series of death in the family would thrust Fatima into a new life. Both her husband and father died shortly after the wedding. Her father left his wealth to both Fatima and her sister, his only two children. So what was she going to do with all this money? She had more money than she would be able to spend in her whole life. So she began to think about what she could do with all that cash. Remember, Fatima and her family were refugees in Fez, and they were not the only ones. Thousands of Muslim immigrants and refugees had come to Fez. Fatima was a devoutly religious woman and frequented mosques in Fez, but she noticed a problem. 
the open space in mosques were getting smaller and smaller. And, you know, buildings don't shrink. More people were moving to Fez. They were starting to overflow with an influx of refugees from Islamic Spain. People couldn't pray. They couldn't gather. There was no place for anyone to learn. So Fatima came up with a genius idea. She used the money she inherited from her father to purchase a mosque that was built around 845 CE under the supervision of King Yaha ibn Muhammad. She then rebuilt it and bought the surrounding land as well, doubling the whole place in size. She saw a need in her community and she filled it. And to add another layer to her all-around badassery, she was committed to only using the land she had purchased. She dug deep into the ground, unearthing yellow sand, plaster, and stone to use to create this building. So not only was she building a place of worship and learning for her community, but she was also doing it in a sustainable way. Oh my God. Could she get any more amazing? She can. She totally can. And I'm going to tell you how. The construction took 18 years and was completed in 859 CE. Fatima was involved in every single step of the process, from the design to the construction. Those are the only things that I know that you have to do to make a building. Whatever else you need to do to construct a university and a mosque, she did it. She was involved in it. According to Moroccan historian Abdelhadi Tazi, Fatima fasted until the project's completion. This meant she only ate at certain times of the day. Like, she didn't starve herself for 18 years, but there's a certain way that people who practice Ramadan fast, and so that's what she did. It's said that when the university was finished, she went inside and prayed to God, thanking him for his blessings. She named the university after the immigrants from her hometown of Kaidouan. The people there were known as the Karawian, so she named it al Karawian University, the people of Karawian's university. At the end of the construction, there was a fully functional mosque, rooms for gathering for lessons, lecture halls, common areas, a big-ass library, beautiful mosaics, <laughs> mosaics, mosaics, and keyhole doorways, and the roofs were a gorgeous emerald green the walls were white and I bet when you walk into there you just feel smarter Al-Karawin University started out as something called a halakatun, which in Islamic terminology is a religious gathering or meeting for the study of Islam and the Quran Generally, there are one or more primary speakers that present the designated topic or topics while others sit around them in a kind of approximate circle and listen in. The attendees may participate in the discussions, ask questions, and voice their concerns. That sounds, sounds a little bit like a lecture, right? Hmm. 
In fact, most things we associate with university stem from Al Karawian University. From obtaining degrees to wearing tassels and academic robes to presenting an oral defense, it all comes from, you guessed it, Al Karawian University. The Halakato quickly turned into a university after the completion of construction. The university began offering degree-seeking courses, and the courses chosen to be offered were brilliantly diverse, ranging from music to geology, astrology, grammar, chemistry, mathematics, music, rhetoric, logic, astronomy, medicine, and and more, a bunch more. <laughs> and of course, the study of the I was doing so good. The study of the Quran and Islamic religion. This was state-of-the-art biz, friend. People of all genders, religious groups, economic groups, everybody. Everybody was able to study there. It didn't matter your faith, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhist, whatever. If you wanted to learn, then you were welcome. A beautiful collective of the most brilliant minds gathered at the university. There was literally no other place like this on earth. Egypt's Azhar University wouldn't be founded until 970. The University of Oxford, which is regarded as the oldest university in the English-speaking world, was roughly founded in 1069. So people would have to wait like hundreds of years in Europe to get an education like this, like what they found at al Karaquin University. And that's why so many people... European people came to Fez to attend the university. Even Fatima herself wasn't about to miss out on the revolutionary education that she made. She became a student of the school herself. And even now, her diploma, which was carved on a wood board, is still on display in the library today. And her love of learning didn't end there. She continued to attend lectures at the school well into her later years. So while Europe was struggling through the Dark Ages, the Islamic world was thriving and living her best life in its ascent into the golden age of science, medicine, and beyond. The University of al Karaquin was like, Dark Ages who? We don't know her. We're all about enlightenment, innovation, and equality here. Within the walls of the university... Early algebra was invented. Pope Sylvester II first learned of Arabic numerals, you know, 0, 1, 2, 3, and so on, and brought them to Europe. Scholars translated the studies conducted at al Karaquin University to their native language and disseminated them through the Western world, paving the way for Europe's Renaissance period. So if you're a fan of the Renaissance, you better thank Fatima, because she did that for y'all. I'd like to end this section with a quote written by the writer and editor Anne Bayliss. Yet even someone as provident and inspired as Fatima al-Fihiri could not have imagined just how significant her gift would be, fostering understanding between theologians and the three Abrahamic religions, making possible the transfer of scientific knowledge from the Arabic world to the European. We have reached our final thought for today, friend. 
Visibility and representation is extremely important. Now more than ever, we as humans need to learn about stories like this. This is a story of a strong Muslim refugee woman who achieved things outside of the box that women have been placed in since the beginning of recorded history. She gave the world education that girls have been systematically denied. But within the walls of Al Karaquin Library, they were given a chance. In 2016, another woman would carry on Fatima's legacy. Canadian-Moroccan architect Aziza Shoni was asked to renovate the old library. It was going to be a big job and a huge honor, and she was going to get a ton of exposure. But Aziza didn't accept it immediately. She would only accept the project on the condition that Al Karaquin's library would again be accessible to everyone, not just researchers and tourists. She said, I'll only sleep soundly when we have the official opening and I see people using it. She got her wish. The renovated library with solar panels, a lab for digitizing texts, and a cafe for the general public opened in December of 2016. Once again, a hub for learning, glass ceiling breaking, and cultural understanding. There you have it, friend. The story of the world's first and oldest operating university. I'm so fired up and inspired. I can't even hold it in. I'm so excited. I hope that you enjoyed this story. I'll be sure to find more history nuggets like this in order to bring representation and visibility into history. As a historian, kind of, I'm kind of a historian, you know, or just just as a human being, I think it's really important to show these kinds of stories because they're really important. Thank you from the bottom of my big mushy gushy heart for joining me today. It was a bit of a rough week for me, so I'm really happy to be here with you right now. I hope you get all the things you want to get done today done, but remember to take care of yourself too. Drink water, unclench your jaw, take a deep cleansing breath, have a great morning, great afternoon, and a great evening. You're doing great. I'll talk to you next week when we get into the kind of not safe for work topic of Catherine the Great's sexy furniture. Bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>